0: Good morning. How many people remember that song? How many people know who sang it? <laughs> Vince Gill. How many people never heard of Vince Gill? Woo! So if you're brand new to Springwell and you're thinking, what are these crazy people doing? Well, uh we're in this relationship series. We're talking about marriages in particular, especially this morning. And so we want to figure out how to not let the love slip away. I thought that was so good. (laughs) Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Today, today we're in particular, we're going to talk about conflict. And so here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you're married, single. It it doesn't matter, you know, if it's a a child-parent relationship. It really doesn't matter. In every relationship, conflict is going to be inevitable. Is it not? Believe it or not, even Karen and I occasionally have a little conflict. Yep, and I always say I'm sorry. <laughs> it works out just fine. One expert on marriage said it like this, marital conflict is a lot like boxing. Boxing. If you go to Springwell, sometimes literally. No, I'm just kidding. It says, husbands and wives step into the ring ready to go toe-to-toe. And I would say that when, when we feel cornered, it doesn't really matter what the relationship is. If it's a friendship relationship, it's, it's, you know, a neighborly relationship. Most of the time, I think, at least my experience has been, is that when I feel cornered, man, I'll do whatever it takes to win. Hello? Am I the only one? Get your hands up. That's right. Yeah, we'll do whatever we have to do. And so sometimes I've been accused of, okay, I have done it on more than one occasion, maybe been guilty of a low blow, a low verbal blow. You got to cut them at their knees, right? And then maybe showing a little fancy footwork with some incredible skills of manipulation. I mean, negotiation. (laughs) I've been waiting. That one line. I got nothing else. That's it. It's the best I have. I'm just kidding. More times than not, it is manipulation, isn't it? It's really not about negotiation because it's all about, it's all about winning. So one of the most important things I think that we can do, and we could talk about communication, even in the song this morning, you know, talked about communication, the importance of communication. And I would absolutely say that the key to a great marriage is communication. Communication, communication. Karen is the one who actually coined the phrase that sometimes communication is highly overrated. Y'all don't know what to say about that. She just said, sometimes people talk way too much. But we're not talking about communication. So one of the things that we need to talk about this morning, though, I think, that I don't know that we really pay attention to is is really the source of conflict. It's where the conflict comes from. It's the things that can happen that we experience every day that kind of add to, stir up the waters of conflict conflict. And we're going to go to an interesting passage, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 24 through 27. Here we go. You ready? Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Let that sink in just a little bit. These are the words of Jesus. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse Why? Because it has a solid foundation. The foundation of this house is built on something that won't just float away with the waters and the rain. It's built on bedrock. Then he says this. He says, but anyone who hears these teachings of mine and doesn't obey, it's foolish. Like the person who built his house on sand, when the rains come and the winds And the floods come, and the winds beat against the house. It will collapse with a mighty crash. And so in this passage, there are three external forces that will destroy a house. And I would say likewise, there are at least three outside forces, three external forces that will destroy a home. Here's the first one. The culture that we're living in. The culture that we're living in. Uh, The culture that we're living in is kind of like the rain. You figured that out. If there's anybody that knows anything about rain, we all know about rain, right? Right here in the south. I mean, and there are other parts of the country right now that have had so much excess of rain that now the floodwaters have begun to rise. And for us in the south, what we've, I know what at least I've recognized, is the damage that rain can do to a home. Have, Have you noticed you know, rain it doesn't take very much. Water can flow and flow through and get through the tiniest of cracks and crevices. And the thing that it will do is it will cause mold and mildew. Any Anybody else noticed in your house over the last maybe a few months since we've had all this rain, the devastation that, that a little bit of rain can do, what water can do? And just like the rains can soak up everything in sight, the culture can soak up our families and into our marriages and causes a nastiness, a, a nasty kind of mold and mildew. George Gallup, he's the, he's the popular pollster. He did a nationwide survey to find out what the cultural factors are that actually hurt a marriage, and here they are. He came up with four, or at least discovered four through this survey. Here's the first one alternative lifestyles. Alternative lifestyles is an outside force that's like the rain. That can, that can permeate into a home, can permeate into a, a marriage, can permeate into a relationship between, between parents and their children that will, that will destroy it. Now, I've struggled a lot of exactly what to say, so I kind of read behind old George, and he said something like this, there are so many different opinions and challenging voices today that I'm not sure that even the church understands what normal is anymore. Hello? And I know we got to be politically correct, so we got to be careful what we say. We don't want to offend anybody. But I'm telling you that because we have, as a church, because we have not been able to lovingly know how to take a stand, now we just don't do anything. And so there's all kinds of opinions, and so everybody wants to be politically correct. So I can't talk against this group, and I can't talk against that group. I don't want to say anything derogatory about that group. It's almost like, you know, we don't want to take a stand for anything, and so this this outside force, these alternative lifestyles have crept into the family, and it's destroying the family. We don't have to be mean. We don't have to be obnoxious. In fact, I would say this. We can look at the culture and say, how is it going? How is, how is these alternative lifestyles, how is that working in the world that you live in? And if it's working okay, then you know what? I don't have an argument. But if you're struggling, we actually, we actually have a better way. Boy, y'all got quiet. The second outside force, according to uh, George Gallup, influence is sexual immorality. According to George Gallup, uh, his survey, the vast majority of teenagers are having pre- premarital sex. Now, I read that, and quite honestly, I didn't know how to take it. I thought, the vast majority, wow, what, is, what does that mean? So I went outside of George Gallup and I tried to do some other studies on my own to figure out exactly, are there numbers that can come out on this somewhere? Are there, are there some statistics that we can maybe grab hold of and sink our teeth into? And what I found, depending upon who you read, that somewhere between 42 and 50 percent of all teenagers are saying that they're engaging in premarital sex. Wow. And again, I think it's another one of those alternative lifestyles kind of thing. And so we don't even know what to say about that. So you know what? As a church, we just don't say anything. We just assume that, you know, in today's culture, everybody's doing it, and everybody's doing it, and it must be okay, rather than taking a stand and say, let me tell you why God said don't do this. Because he loves you and he's trying to protect you. That's why. survey also said that half the men in a nationwide study admitted cheating on their wives. Half. Again, I thought, half? What does that mean? 50%? I mean, but that's, it just seems like that's kind of vague to me. So again, I tried to go out and try to find some really up-to-date studies. So from 2018 and 2019, what I found was all of the the men in America, at least according to these particular pollsters, somewhere between 50 and 60 percent of all married men, they say, are cheating on their wives. Now, right now, if you just look around the room, you're going, it's not me. It's not me. <laughs> it's that side of the room over there. Well, you know, 50 percent, all the guys over there, not, not over here, right? And so the, the other thing that occurred to me is I wondered how come, how come the pollsters never said anything about the women? So were all these married men cheating with Single women? Is that what what they're saying? I don't know what they're saying. I remember a married woman telling me years ago, and I I get to experience some of the coolest things. Well, maybe cool is not the right word. (laughs) I almost got myself in trouble. Let me back up. I'm not saying it's cool, but I do because we're the church that we are. And even though we stand on truth, we also stand hard on love, that I get the opportunity to hear some stories that the average pastor just doesn't get to hear. So I remember a lady telling me a few years ago, she said, you know what, I'm married, but I would never cheat with a single man. And she said, and I cheat a lot. I mean, believe it or not, I had nothing. I mean, I'm just sitting there. (laughs) Whoa, how about those braves? I mean, where do you go from there? And here's what she said. She said, I would never cheat with a single man because he might fall in love with me. I, don't, I just want an affair. I don't want to divorce my husband, and I'm trying to process all this. She said, so I would always want to make sure that I'm cheating with a married man because he's got something at stake, too. He doesn't want to get caught either. I thought, this is crazy talk. But it's the culture that we live in, a sexually immoral culture that we live in, the economy, they say, is another one of those factors, one of those cultural factors, the economy. And I got to be honest with you, I disagree. Now I know, I know, I know, there are tons of marriage counselors out there today that will say the number one cause of divorce is the economy. It's 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 money pressure. But you know what I found, and and I said this a couple of weeks ago when I talked about uh, you know intimacy, especially sexual intimacy. And one of the things that I said was I think that it was a whole lot easier for Karen and I to be more creative when we had less. Not when we've had more. It's easy to throw money at something, isn't it? If you have a little bit of money, it's just easy to throw money at something. When you don't have any money, then what you have to do is you have to become incredibly creative. And so what I would say is is that some of the families that I know that have some of the strongest, greatest marriages, some of the couples that I know, are people that have very little, but they've learned how to live on little. It doesn't take much for them to be content. So I don't think it's economic pressure. What I think it is, is materialism. That's what I think. And I'm not George Gallup. I'm not the pollster. And I hadn't written a book, so I don't know, you know, if anything that I say is, has any validity. But what I've experienced is this when a couple finds that they have to have more and more and more. A family that has to have more and more and more that causes you to work insane hours to try to, 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 to have a lifestyle that you just can't afford. Y'all having fun yet? Here's the fourth one. George came up with this. I didn't. Okay? You Ready? This is George, this is is what the survey said, I'm just saying, radical feminism. He said that's one of those cultural factors that's destroying the marriage, is is radical feminism. Now, that's what the survey showed, but I agree. And if if you wonder, how could you agree with something like that? Let me tell you how I can agree with it, because I think that radical feminism is as bad as male chauvinism. You know why? Because both only focus on the individual. In other words, I'm in a relationship, and it's all about me. You don't want to be in a relationship with somebody that feels that way, do you? Because really, all I want to do is use you and abuse you just to get out of you what I want. Who wants to be in a relationship like that with anybody? And see, it's not those godly principles. It's not what you see in Scripture. In the Bible, it's all about what? Dying to yourself, right? So what's the Christian response? Man, it's easy. It's Romans 12. Easy message to write. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. I like the Phillips translation that says it like this. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And I've been saying this for years. 50% of you, 50% of you, with every survey that we do, 50% of you, based on the surveys that we've done in the past, would say, that you haven't been to church in the last 20 years. 36 of the 50% of you would say, I've never been to any church of any kind. And so I always am able to look at people and say, here's the thing, if your lifestyle is working for you, I got nothing. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. If you look at me and go, man, listen, this is the life I'm living. I am jacked up. I am excited. I love life. Then I've got nothing for you, but... If you would say, you know what, I've been doing my own thing the world's way. I've let the culture shape me, and I'm not happy. Then I would say that maybe you want to check out Scripture. Maybe you just want to look at it with some fresh eyes. Second outside force is the crisis that we live through. And I'm talking about the floodwaters of adversity. Every marriage, every relationship will face adversity. I remember years ago, probably maybe pushing 30 years ago, I remember I was kind of the new pastor at a church, and there was a a, a, a relationship that I kind of started. It was cool. We'd become friends with some folks. And I remember somebody telling me one time, we just love you. You're the best preacher we've ever heard. I said, preach it. Come on. Tell me more. And so they did. They started to lay it on. And here's what I said to them. I said, you know what? You don't really know me that well right now. You know what will be the test of our love? The test of our love, the test of your love for me will be the first time you disagree with me. It'll be the first time that I say something that you're not really sure about. It'll be the first time that I make a decision that you don't like. That will be the test. Adversity is always the test of any relationship could be an accident that came from out of nowhere. Bam, there was that wreck. And suddenly you find yourself in a place that you never thought you'd find yourself before. Maybe it's a, a bankruptcy. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a cancer. Maybe it, it, it's some kind of debilitating disease. Maybe it's a life-threatening disease. I remember Karen years ago uh, with the reading material in the bathroom. Like, y'all don't have magazines in there. But, but we had really high-class magazines, <laughs> like the National Enquirer. I don't know. Anyway, we had, I don't remember what it was. It wasn't the National Enquirer, some kind of magazine. Now, I remember that there was a very uh, famous talk show host. And, and here's what she said, breast cancer, breast cancer almost destroyed my marriage. And I, as soon as I read that, I mean, literally, I remember taking a step back going, wait a minute. How, how sorry of a husband did you have? Adversity. Maybe a child ends up in jail. I even wrote this. I even put school. I even, I even put school. Um maybe some of you experienced that. It it took me I, it took me nine and a half years. Cram about seven years. <laughs> in the nine and a, y'all follow me? It it took me seven and a half years. To get my four year degree. I'm a little slow. Do you know what that's like? Uh, some of you do. It will take a strain on a relationship, it will take its toll on a relationship. When you're working two jobs, I was always working at least one, two jobs, Karen. Most of the time, was working at least three jobs. We didn't see each other a whole lot, and it was because we had a goal. We felt that there was a call on my life, and, and the call was to, was to pastor, but the call was also to, to get educated. And so we gave up a lot, and we did a lot for me to be able to go to school, but at nine and a half years is a long time. Adversity. One of the tests of the strength of your marriage of your relationships are going to be how do you handle it when your world's turned upside down? So how, do you, how are you going to handle the floods of adversity? So I would say that the key, the key to handling adversity is commitment. And I bet some of you thought I was going to say love, right? Because we said love started slipping. You know, so you thought love, I mean love. And you know what, here's what I would say. Most people are in love are committed to each other as long as they feel like they're in love. Let me tell you what Karen and I have learned. We've learned that you'll tend to be in love to the degree that you're committed to each other. Are you following the difference? Because some people say, you know what, I'm committed to you because I still feel that, that tingle. You know, I still feel that thing that, that, that my heart still skips a beat when you walk in a room. And I would tell you that if Karen, at our age, and, and she'll hard to believe, she'll be 60 years old in October. My wife. It's crazy. Yeah, don't tell her. She's next door with the kids. <laughs> She's hot as a match. I've been good to that woman, ain't I? I didn't have anything to do with it. She. Here's the thing. And what we've learned, and I thought about this the other day. I really did. I, I remember thinking, I was having a conversation with a with a couple, and I, I remember I was thinking through it, and I thought, she is almost 60. Wow. And then I had this thought, I wonder, I wonder if, if other people see her like I do. I, mean, I wonder if they, I want, really, I wonder if they do. And maybe, maybe it's just me, when she walks into a room, I mean, I light up. You know, my heart skips a beat. I look at her, and I think she's the most beautiful, gorgeous woman that I've ever saw. And what I would tell you, that her looks go far beyond the exterior. It's her heart. It's who she is. It's what she represents. But I would tell you that we're still deeply in love to the degree that we've been committed to each other. One month's issue of Psychology Today cover article read this, Why Marriage last. And then went back and they asked people who had been married for an extended period of time what kept them together. And the thing that kept, up, kept coming up over and over and over and over again with these couples wasn't love. It wasn't that I married my high school sweetheart. It wasn't that we we're deeply in love. It was that we've always been committed. Adversity will come. Adversity has, has been in our marriage. We've faced the floodwaters of adversity, but what's kept us together is our commitment to each other. But what do you do when you're in a marriage and, and you've got a problem that's so severe? And maybe you're thinking, you know what, dude, I, we can handle financial stuff. It's not an issue. We can handle sickness. But what do you do when you face that problem and you think, I just don't know how we're going to do this? What, what do you do when there's been an affair? Can you can you say that? Can you, on a Sunday morning, eleven o'clock? What do you do? What do you do when the struggle and the pressure, and, and you look at somebody and said, you know, but you said you promised me, and now you have betrayed our vows. What what, what do you do? I'm I'm glad you ask. I'm just Isaiah 43. I think gives us the answer. But now this is what the Lord says. Who has created you, Jacob? You, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine when you pass through the waters. And he didn't say if you pass through the waters. He said when you pass through the waters. And he said when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And really when people come to talk to me, I can look at them and say, honestly, I have no earthly idea what you're feeling. I've never experienced that. And I cannot imagine betrayal on that level. But what I do know is that I have spent time after time after time with families and couples over the years that have experienced it. And the only thing that got them through it wasn't this syrupy, sweet love, it was their commitment to the Lord Jesus. And it was His power and His strength. When you walk through the flood waters, and you will promises you'll never walk through it by yourself then he says when you walk through the fire and I'm thinking walk was I, yeah <laughs> am I the only weird one because I look like I ain't walking through no fire if it's if it's fire I'm running I want to get to the other side as quickly as I possibly can and then, and then he says when you walk through the fire, and I'm thinking, can we like just go around it? <laughs> am I the only one? How many times have you been in a struggle and you said, God, take this away from me? Hello, am I the only one? What I've learned is some of the most difficult times of my life have shaped my understanding of God, which has brought me on the other side, I'm more secure in the love of God today than I ever have in my life. And every bit of that has been brought about by adversity. And so he could rescue us. He could work a miracle for us. But oftentimes he says, no, I'm just going to walk with you through it. And I'm going to grow you. And I'm going to love you. And when we get on the other side, you're going to be amazed. So you walk through it one day at a time, one step at a time with him by your side. When you have a crisis that threatens to to blow away your marriage, you really just have two options. You can walk out or you can walk through. I I don't have anything else for you. And it's going to take an incredible amount of, of commitment to walk through it, but I promise you, If you you will allow God to bring healing to the hurt, you'll come out on the other side, and you won't believe it, but you'll come out on the other side better than you've ever been. Your relationship will be stronger than it's ever been if you will let God do his work. So you've got to watch the culture that we live in and the crisis that we will inevitably go through. And third, the changes that you're going to just have to learn to live with he says, when the rains come and the floods come and the winds beat against the house. The word winds, it's an interesting word. I, I love this word because there's more to it than just a word. It's more than just wind, but it's literally wind that's blowing in every direction, north and south, east and west. And, in other words, you never even really know where the wind's going to be blowing, but you just know that the wind is coming. It's constantly changing. And, and your marriage is going to be constantly changing. It's not static. Karen and I work hard at our marriage. We, have, we really do have the best marriage of anybody I know. I, I'm still crazy about that woman. And it's not just her looks. It's what's on the inside. It's the life that we have together. And we look at each other constantly. When nobody else is around, and it's just she and I, and we'll look at each other and think, man, we have the greatest life. Wow but we would tell you that you have to work hard at it, that a marriage is not stagnant, you're either growing closer together or you're drifting apart. It's getting better, or it's getting worse. Now, there are some predictable changes that every marriage kind of goes through, I guess. You start with children, right? There's the challenge of raising the babies. There is the challenge of raising the babies. And you know, were you like me? I remember and I thought, I'll just be glad. I'll just be so glad when, when, you know, she can get her own something to drink. Daddy, I'm thirsty. And I'm so, go get yourself something. Open up the fridge. I, I remember thinking, I'll be glad when we finally get her potty trained. And she don't have to say, Dad. Because it's always at the most inconvenient time, isn't it? And and then and then suddenly they start to grow up and then you have, you know, so you're trying you have the stress of trying to raise the babies. And then you have the stress of teenagers. I said stress. There's other words that we could use. <laughs> you know, it's the stress of teenagers. And didn't, when you think you got it all figured out, you go through that midlife crisis. And then there's menopause, empty nest, and retirement. Every marriage is constantly changing. They're the physical changes that we all go through. How many folks are getting a little bit older and your body starts doing weird stuff? Hello, come on. Are you with me? It just does. Hair falls all out your head and starts coming out in other places. I spend as much time shaving my ears right now as I do my face. And some of you men should listen because you walked in, you look like Bozo. You got stuff coming out, hair down your neck and back and all just one big mat, you know. Clean yourself up. (laughs) I'm just messing with you because some of you got it all in your nose. (laughs) There are the physical changes that we're all going to go through. Elizabeth Elliot, oh my gosh, what an incredible woman. If you don't know who Elizabeth Elliot is, that's a story within itself. You need to go home this afternoon and just Google Elizabeth Elliot, one of the most godly women that I've ever had the good pleasure to read behind. She wrote a book um, called Let Me Be a Woman, and she talks about how marriage is constantly changing. Talking to wives, here's what she says. She says, the fact is your provider may someday lose his job. Your strength may show unexpected weakness. Your knight in armor may experience a public defeat. Your teacher may make a serious mistake that you warned him about. Your lover may become a helpless patient, sick, sore, sad, needing your presence and care every minute of the day and night. This isn't the man I married, you'll say, and it'll be true. But you married that man for better or worse in sickness and in health. And those tremendous promises took into account the possibility of radical change. That's why the promises were necessary. So what are you going to do when you go through the rains of culture and the floods of adversity and the winds of change? What do you do when those winds beat against your marriage? The difference, as Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, was simple. It's the foundation. Because every marriage, every family is going to experience the rain. Every Marriage, every relationship is going to experience the, the adversity of the, of the waters of, 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 of a flood. Every, every marriage, every relationship is going to experience the winds blowing in every direction. What's going to be the difference? The difference is going to be the foundation. And, and for us, the foundation is a person. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says it like this, For no, no man... No one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, the foundation is a person. So I just have to ask you this question. Are you living your life? Are you living your life based on the person of Jesus? You know, it's a a little silly, and it happens all the time when we get in trouble, you know when the rains come, when the floodwaters rise, when the wind begins to blow, that we run to Jesus. Now, we haven't consulted Jesus with much of anything. We haven't ever read anything in His Word. We're really not concerned about His principles. We're not really concerned about how to love each other, treat each other. We've been doing everything based on pretty much whatever the culture says is cool and hip. But suddenly, when when adversity begins to come, when the rains come, and when we begin to experience the wind that destroys, that, that is about to, to break apart and destroy our family and our marriage, then suddenly we come running to Jesus and saying, God, please save me. I need a miracle. Sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? You know the thing that amazes me? Is it because God is God? He forgives us. It's crazy. I mean, it's really, it's crazy if you think about it. We've been doing our life our way, not concerned about Him whatsoever. And then suddenly we need a miracle, and then He works a miracle. But here's the thing. If you continue to live your life your way, allowing the world to squeeze you into its mold, you're just going to find yourself right back at the same place again. The insanity is when you keep doing the same thing, looking for different results, right? So maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you would say, you know what? I know why I'm in the mess I'm in. I know why my marriage is in the mess it is in. I know why I struggle in relationships. Maybe you're not even married, you're a single, and you say, I know why I'm struggling. I'm not applying any of the principles of Jesus. I'm just trying to do my life my way. And you know what? If your life, your way has been working, i got nothing for you. But if you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm struggling. Then I would just encourage you to say, you know what, Lord? Forgive me. And forgive me for just being so narrow-minded and selfish and trying to do it my way. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed followers of Jesus. So maybe right now you're just doing business. You're just talking to Him. You're just hanging out with Him. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. And this is just why I love my job so much. I get to sit down with so many honest people. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and you'd say, you know what? My way of life hasn't worked. And the rains have come, and the flood waters have risen, and the winds have blown against my life, and my life's in a mess. And I didn't really understand the depth of the love of God until today. But I'm beginning to understand the power of it, the beauty of it. See, Jesus did more than just say, I love you. He proved it. And he proved it by going to the cross. And on the cross, he died on the cross to shed his blood for our sins. Now, I don't know if you really know what that means, but that means literally he took our sin on himself. He had never known sin. He had been purely righteous. And he took the sins of the world on his shoulders when he went to the cross. It's amazing he suffered and he died for one reason and one reason only is because he desires a relationship with you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. So if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, then maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you'd just say, you know, Jesus, I've, I've been doing my life my way. And I'm just going to admit it just ain't working. I'm, I'm not happy. The rains and the flood, the waters and the wind wow, it's just destroying me. And this morning, I just want to come to you and ask for forgiveness. Forgive me for all my sin. Thank you for dying for me thank you that you're alive. I can feel your presence right now. So I just want to surrender my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. So that I can spend every day from this day forward following you. Being strengthened by you. Father, um, thank you for the the power of your word, Lord. Um, Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, that you do forgive us. You're so quick. You're so patient. You're so kind. You're so gentle. You woo us with your love. guess is is that there's some folks in here that are struggling in their marriage, and Lord, I just want to lift those folks up and pray for them. Father, I pray that you'll bring healing. Lord, for those that are following you, that they'll understand that there's no way to make it through that pain, that hurt without you. So Lord, will you just overwhelm these folks with hope? that you do, we'll thank you.